Good morning. Here's a question for you. You don't have to answer this question right now, but you can think about it if, if some of the bits that I say get boring. How did Jesus know who he was? How did Jesus know who he was? I mean, did, did he always know? Did he, when, when, he was, when he popped out the womb uh, on, on Christmas Day, uh, did, he, uh, did he suddenly go, oh, wow, I'm Jesus, I'm the Son of God. And he saw, saw all these, uh, well, according to the nativity scenes, all the shepherds and kings and the choir of angels and, and all the nice fluffy animals and all that and go, hey, this is all for me. I'm the, you know, I'm the king of the world. Uh, or or did, it, did it happen as he got older? Did it, did it... Think about that. Um, I, the answer is I don't know exactly, but um, I'm going to try to uh, get toward us grabbing some answer. And at the same time, I'm going to try and explain why we've been doing what we've been doing all year, which is to look at the Bible. We've looked very uh, specifically at some parts of the Bible. We've looked at the whole story. We've looked at the way that's told, the different styles that it's told in. We've looked very specifically at some bits. Um, and the reason that we've done that, and here I'm going to let you into my thinking, and you will see just what a devious and manipulative person I am. The reason that we've done that is, uh, you know, the expression on your faces at the moment is just glorious. So take, take a picture. This is the congregation with somebody talking to them. They're all going like this. Um, the reason we've done that is because I really have wanted us to believe some of it. Okay. At least some of it. You see, we're, we're told stories for information. And uh, here we have uh, a book, or whether it, you read it in that form or some other form, and the the information is there for us to take into ourselves. Um, let's uh, read a verse or two out of that. This is uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message about Christ, in some uh, versions it'll be the word of God, in all its richness fill your lives. Some of the older versions will say something like this, uh, or older translations. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. And what we've been trying to do this year is to dwell in the word of God so that it can dwell in us. And we've tried to look at it with some um, slightly different view. We've tried to give it a bit more understanding We've had some, uh, some guest speakers in who've, who've done that, and we've, we've done our best to do that ourselves, to try and understand it better so that it can live in us. And you might not remember this, but uh, right at the, the start of the year, one of the things that was spoken about was, um, and we, we think about it at this time of year, the word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. That's the beginning of John's Gospel. In the beginning is the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. Uh, and then a couple of verses later, it says, The Word became flesh. The Word, the spoken Word of God, became flesh, became Jesus. Jesus was the embodiment of God's Word. 
So when we look at a verse that says, let the word of God dwell in you richly, we're not just talking about a message, we're talking about a person, aren't we? We're talking about letting Jesus dwell in us richly. So the way we, we encounter the word of God means that we're allowing Jesus to, to live in us more richly. And that's what brings about change in us. Uh, let's take an example. So uh, here's a character from the Old Testament. For those that uh, may not know the story, I'll just give you a little bit of background. Um, God's people were in Egypt for a long time, and uh, Moses came along and helped them get out of Egypt. Probably all know that story. And they had 40 years of wandering around in the desert, uh, not because they were lost or because the, the satnav had packed up, but because they, there was a whole change of generation that needed to go on. It needed to change their ideas of thinking from the old way of thinking to the new way of thinking. And one of the things that was a clue to that was that, uh, they got to where they were, were going initially in about 11 days. And Moses sent in a team of, uh, of spies to go and have a look at the land. And the, the spies wandered around. And many of you will know this. Uh, they came back. Ten came back and just said, yeah, it's great, but we're going to get mashed. And two came back and said, yeah, it's great, and they're big and nasty and hairy and horrible, but we can take them. You know, it's like the mouse and the elephant walking across the bridge. We've got this. So that's when God decided, no, uh, I've had it with this generation. We're going to, going to get another generation. I'll just let this lot wander around. I'll give them food and clothing and everything else, but uh, basically I need some, some new blood, some, some new uh, approaches to this, except for those two. Joshua and Caleb. So this guy, Caleb, he's now 85. Okay, hands up all the 85-year-olds. This guy, Caleb, is 85. Uh, And I'm going to read to you a little bit about him. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, uh, son of a few other people, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, a man of God. Now this is Caleb, and he's talking to Joshua, his friend, and he's saying, remember what the Lord said to Moses? He's talking about something that was said over 40 years ago. 40 years. Some of you haven't even had long enough to remember something for 40 years. I barely have, really. But Caleb kept that inside him for 40 years. He let the word. Now, it was the word of Moses, but if you go back to Moses' call, you'll see that God said to Moses, I'm going to speak through you. When you speak, it's going to be like I'm speaking. So as far as Caleb was concerned, God had said this. And Caleb had hung on to this for over 40 years. The word had dwelt in him strongly. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea, To explore the land of Canaan, I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me uh, frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that was 40 years ago. He had a good day 40 years ago. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever, because you wholeheartedly followed my God. So here's Caleb, 
he comes back and faithfully reports, faithfully in terms of he's got one eye on what he's seeing and he's got one eye on God's ability to give it to them. And Moses said, because you spoke this way, you're going to be able to possess this land. It's going to be yours. Now, what happened to all the others, with the exception of Joshua? They're all dead. They've all gone. They've they've been gathered to their ancestors. Caleb is hanging on to this promise. Now, just put yourself in, in Caleb's sandals for a minute. He's walking around the wilderness for 40 years eating manna every day. I don't know what manna tasted like, but eating it every day for 40 years, I would imagine it got a little bit tedious after a while. You know? What are we going to eat today? Oh, some manna. Great, I'm really looking forward to that. Never had manna before. Well, not since yesterday. Not since yesterday. But he holds on to that word. It gets into him. It's not just in here. This is not an intellectual thing that's gone on. This is a... This is a heart thing that's gone on. And this is, this is without the help of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Okay? Caleb is not filled with the Holy Spirit like we can be, like most of us are. Caleb's not been regenerated to a new life. He's just living in the old life. But every day he's hanging on to this promise because that's what he's heard in his heart. Um, of, Let's read on a little bit. Um, now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised for all these 40 years. So the reason that he's still going strong at 85 is because he's dwelling, Caleb is holding on to this word, um, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could Now is the time for me to inherit what God said all those years ago. One of the reasons that we have looked at uh, the Bible in particular this year is so that we can allow the promises within God's word to live and dwell in us so that we can inherit them. God makes these promises he doesn't just throw them out and just say, oh, I, I, wonder who, um, I wonder who's going to take hold of these. He makes individual promises. Each of you has got a, a purpose fashioned by God, held by him for you and you alone. It is bespoke. It is individually crafted and tailored. Just, just look around. Just look around at the other people. Don't look at me for the moment. Look at the other people. Do you have any idea what, what that is? What God's individually crafted purpose is for them? The answer is no, you don't. You've not got a clue. Because it's, it's in us and it's up to us to work out with him. Let's go back to Jesus. How did Jesus know who he was? Now, as far as I can tell, there's, there's nothing specific in, uh, in Scripture that, that tells us. But I think it happened because he dwelt on the Word of God. The Word of God was within him. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus is recorded as quoting the Old Testament 
66 times. 66 times he quotes the Old Testament. I'm not even sure I know 66 verses from the, the Old Testament. I'd have to look them up. But Jesus just seems to come out with them. And remember, what we, what we read of Jesus, John tells us in his gospel, you know, the whole world couldn't contain the, the books of what he said. So we just think, wow, Jesus said a lot. He didn't really. That was, I mean, that was just a, a tiny snippet, really, of what he was doing. The 66 times he's referring back to the Old Testament scriptures because he knows they refer to him. And if you, you, can, you can find them easily because they're usually the bits that are... Um, one, if you've got a Bible like this, they'll be in red. And two, they're kind of indented. So you don't have to go searching through the whole thing. Or you can do what I did and you can go online and you can find a website where somebody else has done all the hard work. And there's a nice table of all the things that, that Jesus said. He constantly refers back to that. I think through his life, through his childhood and his teenage years, there was a growing awareness of who he was. Now, I know he had an advantage, virgin birth and all that. He was the, you know, part of the Godhead. He was the son of God. I know all that. But at the same time, I think it happened that way because we are given the opportunity to be like him in the world. In John's first epistle, he says, in this world, we are as he is. We're like him. The way the Spirit wants to work in us has been modeled through Jesus. He's the perfect model, and he's the, the example that we can look to. If it's all going wrong, we just think, no, this doesn't work. We look at Jesus, and we remember, yeah, he, was, he had a divine nature, but he was also human. And he faced every temptation that we do, including the temptation to think, this is rubbish, I don't believe this. Or I used to believe this, I believed this yesterday, but I'm finding it hard today. Or I believed it 40 years ago, but I'm finding it hard today. Jesus faced all that. He faced every temptation, but was without sin. He did not give in to those temptations. So the story of the temptations... They're all very similar, uh, the sort of things we go through. But in all of them, what was challenged was his identity, his sonship. So if that's the way that it works in Jesus, how does it work in us? A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, um, I went to uh, a kind of, a sort of a, Christian training center for a year and in that year uh, I encountered a, a level of insight into God and teaching about God that uh, just changed my life forever and one of the things that I got hold of or that I, I realized I'm not sure how well I got hold of it but one of the things I realized in that was uh, it came from uh, the chapters where Jesus is talking to his disciples um, just before the crucifixion. Um, let me read John chapter 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Remember, they followed him for three years. They've seen some pretty crazy stuff in those three years. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done. And even greater works because I'm going to the Father. 
Do you think Jesus meant that? Really? Jesus said, anyone who believes in me, so it's even, even somebody like me, even somebody like you, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with my father. Let's just reel off some of the works Jesus did. Uh, fed 5,000 people with a small amount of food. Um, walked on some water. Be really useful in Worcester sometimes, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, water into wine. I like that one. Yeah. Uh, brought some dead people back to life. Uh, healed a whole load of uh, sick people. Taught people, gave them hope, dignity, encouragement, eternal life. Um, and he's saying we can, we can do this. Uh, why? Because I'm going to be with the Father. In other words, I'm going away now. Bye. See you. And because I'm going away, uh, you're going to be able to do... It won't be me doing all these things I've been doing. It'll be you. Um, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. That comes a bit later on in the next chapter. But um, if I don't go, he can't come. And when he comes, you'll be able to do all these things. You can ask for anything. Now, if I was Jesus, I'd have given a list. I'd have said, here, here's all the things you can ask for. Um, because it would have been a pretty extensive list, and I'd still be working my way through the list. But he didn't give a list. He just said, anything, anything at all. You can ask for anything in my name, and I'll do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. Now, in the next few chapters... He says that four times. Four times. Now, those of you who've had small children, how often do you want to say things to your children before they respond? Yeah, how, how many do you want to? Not how many do you have to. <laughs> how many do you want to? It's usually three is about average. And I've said it once. I've just said it twice. I, don't make me say it a third time. You know, we count to three or whatever it is. And um, that's why kids are so good at counting to three. Did you know that? Because they hear their parents do it so often. But Jesus says it four times. I think he says it four times because inside he knows they aren't going to believe this. And when I read this, when I was some years uh, younger, I, I saw this in a way I had never seen it before. And I read it and read it and read it, and read it, and read it. Because what was here, I wanted in here. And I've spent my life pursuing that. That's what it means for the word of God to dwell in us, because we have to give it a chance to dwell in us. Now, here's the question. What's dwelling in you? What word from God is dwelling in you? It may have come through what we've been looking at this year, but the, the whole point is this. We really wanted to focus people on the word of God so that you individually would dwell in it. You don't get this by osmosis. Okay? You can't just be, be near to the Bible and just hope that it kind of drifts across into you. You have to be in it. Now, this is, this is not to, to make anybody feel bad. This is just to say, look... It's here, the invitation. It's like there's a story here that it's just like on a, a kids' program where, where somebody walks into the story. Or alternatively, a coffee advert where somebody walks out of the story and then they come through the screen and walk down the road to the coffee shop and then go back in. You've got to get into it. 
Jesus invites us into this. And that's what we've been, been trying to do. Here's something else. This, this is more recent. So that was it's over 30 years ago that I started on that journey. Now, I've seen some wonderful things happen, and I've seen some things not happen. And the reason I keep pursuing all these crazy things is because I know they're possible. If I can pray them, he, wants, he can do them. Because he can do more than I ask or imagine. So if I've already imagined something, I know he can do it. Now, whether, whether I'm imagining what he wants to do, there's another story there. It's another talk. I haven't got, I'm not going to get into that. But just, just take that as, that's a rider, but take it that I'm, I'm kind of pursuing what God wants here. If I can imagine it, he wants to do it. And the key for me is not how dogged and determined I can be. The key is, can I live in this? Okay, Hebrews chapter 3. The writer of the Hebrews says this in verse 12. Uh, let's just see if I can find it in a different version. And uh, oh, Magic. It's not magic, it's technology, just in case anybody thinks. Uh, you know, I'm talking about other things. Verse 12, chapter 3. So search your hearts every day. Every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you, for it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. Okay, I'm going to read it again. So search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you. If things are hiding, you have to search for them. Okay, And if you don't search everywhere, you're not going to find them. It will lead you astray. So even though we can't find something, it can lead us astray. Um, if you, we had, you're going to hate this story. Um, we had, a few years ago, we had this problem with a, uh, a horror, yeah, sorry, that story. We had this problem with a horrible smell in our house. Okay, Um the children were still living at home. Oh, no, you'd gone. It must have been Lizzie. Yeah. Um, we had this horrible smell in our house. We did not know what it was. It was, it was foul. It was, it was like rotting flesh. Um, yeah, really. Um, and we, we searched everywhere, and we could not find it. And, and then it went. And we just thought, oh, thank goodness for that. Um, and then a little bit later on, maybe a... a a month or two later, it came back again. It just, it was, it was awful. I mean, air fresheners everywhere, didn't do the ozone layer a lot of good, but air fresheners everywhere just to kind of combat this horrible thing. After a long, long process of trying to discover what it was, we discovered that when we'd had our extension built, the extension had been built over an old sewer and the, it gets better. And the, the builders, uh, builders being builders, they, uh, w when they get an old sewer, generally they, just, they know that smells can come up the sewer, so they just stuff a piece of rag or paper in there, stops the smells coming out. So the builders had, had done that. Um, but what that doesn't stop is rats. 
And the rats, uh, which were living in the sewer because it's warm and it's wet and smelly and I don't know, um, uh, they had, they sort of said, oh, we don't want to be in this, in this kind of wet, smelly place. Well, there's a nice dry place up here called a cavity wall. Now, our house, uh, the rest of the house doesn't have cavity walls. It's too old. Um, but now we have, uh, I have, um, in half of it, got cavity walls. And so what had happened is these rats had been coming up the sewer and they were gnawing through the insulation and made a nice little nest. And if you come to my place, I can point to the, the area where the nest was. Because once we knew what it was, we could hear them. We could hear them scrabbling around in there. Because it was nice. They used to go outside. Is anybody feeling really queasy now? Sorry about this. They were going outside, getting some food, bringing it back in. And, um, and every now and then, one of them would die. Uh, especially when we got the, the rat catcher in. And he put the poison outside. And they say, oh, poison, they, because they, they eat it, they think it's nice, and they go back to their, their nice warm nest, and they die there. And, of course, when they die, the flesh decays, and that's what the smell was. So if you want to know the rest of the story, I'll tell you later. But we searched for it. We didn't know where it was, but it affected our lives. It was leading us astray. If we have rot in our hearts unbelief hiding in our hearts. It will lead us astray. And it makes us unresponsive to God. Isn't that frightening? That we can have things that we don't know are there making us unresponsive. I mean, God loves us so much. He, he just wants us to be as responsive to him as as we would be to the, the closest person in our lives. So that sometimes he comes and he just whispers something. That's why when I, I heard this word spondylosis, I don't normally sit there thinking of spondylosis, but I just heard this word spondylosis. I thought, there's somebody here with, with this problem. So I don't know who you are, but do come and see me. I, I want you to get healed. But he wants us to respond to that. But if we're hiding unbelief in our hearts, my first reaction would have been, oh, that's not God. And it, it puts us off. How often have we heard something and we say, oh, I don't think that's God? Come on, you all have. You know you have. But when we deal with these things that hide in our hearts, we become more responsive. That's why we've been looking at this, or this or whichever version. Because we want to become more responsive to him. For we are, uh, this is the time to encourage each other to never be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. One of the other versions that we quote most often says, uh, encourage each other daily. And we just think, oh, yeah, I want to really encourage you today. You're a great guy, you know, a great girl. Well done, love you, doing a great job. But it says, why do we encourage each other? We encourage each other never to be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I'm not so good. There are some people I do it with, but I'm not so good at going up to people and saying, you're being stubborn against God. Don't do it. It's not a rebuke. Well, it is a rebuke, but it's a loving rebuke because you, you just want people to, to be responsive to God for their sake and for God's sake. So Gina's encouraging us to, to take these um, cards and find people who we can invite to things. 
And it's, I love the way you said it. It was just, you know, we, I can't remember quite how you put it, but it's basically, we've got such good news. Wouldn't it be great for somebody else to hear it? Wouldn't it be great for somebody else to respond? There's a word there from the Lord. He's just saying, take one. Don't sit there thinking, well, I'm not going to do that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't possibly ask somebody. What if they said no? So they said no. That'd be sad, but they said no. It doesn't change the power of the invitation. It doesn't change the worth of the person doing the inviting. Caleb held on to a promise for 45 years. He went to the mountain. He kicked the living daylights out of all the bad guys, just like on Die Hard. It was kind of Die Hard, an early Die Hard with Caleb. It must have been a Christmas film. And, and he lived on the mountain. If you read on in the story, you'll see that, that his place prospered. Why did it prosper? It prospered because one man held on to a promise from God. The next chapter of Hebrews says, God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. That's actually talking about two, two things at the same time here. It's talking about eternal rest, the sort of heavenly rest, but it's also talking about the rest in God we can have now. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. To embrace the fullness of the promise. To dwell richly in God's word. What's the word? What's the promise? What's the individually crafted invitation from God to each of us? I think... I think if it's this wide for me, I've perhaps begun to discover this much of it. I know that he has far more for me than I can imagine. And I've I've been trying to imagine it a lot. I really have. And I think maybe I've got about this far. Maybe. Maybe not that much. But what I've found so far is incredibly wonderful and incredibly challenging. I have to do this every day. There are some things that I live with at the moment, and I mean they're living in me, they're vibrating in me. And I, even when I wake up, I've had to start doing it. And I, I've, When I wake up, I just have to find ways of reminding myself, today is the day that I'm living in this promise. I'm expecting God to move in this way. I think that's part of what it means to allow the word of God to, to dwell in us. And when I find something... I become much better at spotting unbelief in my life. Could I have the musicians come back up, please? I become much better at spotting unbelief. When I'm talking to people and somebody says, oh, why don't you do this? Or I read something and a thought comes to mind. When I just go, I couldn't possibly believe that. Straight away, like this, an alarm bell goes off and I just think, oh, look, there's some unbelief. And I deal with it. I say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Can you, can you strengthen me in this area? Can you test me in this area so that I can, I can see how strong your promise is?